tell you who is electable. A woman who can stand up. A woman who can fight. A woman who understands what is in front of us. So no, this isn't about making these divisions. You know, it's easy to come here and suggest a comment about the race card, and just because you don't use the word, it doesn't mean that we don't know what you meant. The reality is race is an issue in this country. Race and gender are an issue in this state. And instead of telling Democrats to stop talking about it, how about we tell Republicans to stop doing it? You have friends there, you've been there, how about you both go back and tell your party to stop doing it? The reality is Democrats have to fight. We have to have a person who is willing to fight, not a person who wants to mediate or dress up. This is about making change. This is about experience. This is about the record that my opponent attempted to make light of. Well, the record is what makes me going to be the best attorney general that we've had because the attorney general is the voice of the people, not the voice of the police, not the voice of play, not the voice of the other side, not the voice of my old friends, not the voice of the governor. The attorney general is the voice of the people, and that's who I've always been. While I appreciate his individual endorsements, that's why the people have endorsed me. Now this one dedicated to the girl with the angel face and the devil art. You know, Sir Ramon from Chaka, the most new top players come to deal with the case. Stop up my youth! Hear this! I know this little girl, her name is Maxine. Her beauty's like a bunch of rose. If I ever tell you about Maxine, you only say I don't know what I know. But murder she wrote. Real, real. Murder she wrote. Murder she wrote. Murder she wrote. I channel with him, a pretty face and bad character. Then the kind of living can hold chaka. Follow me. A pretty face and bad character. Them the kind of living can hold chaka. Say, girl, you're pretty. Your face is pretty, but your character dirty. Girl, you're just a act too. Flirty, flirty. You run to Tom Pick and also hurry. And when you find your mistake, you talk about you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Come now. Have a cozy kind of when she jokes and when she jam. She know about Luke, like an every money man. Make love with a coolie Chinese white man and Indian. Story time. In the summer of 2006, I met this young attorney in the PD's office. We instantly bonded and became fast friends. Ten years later, she ran for state attorney and became the first black woman in the state of Florida, I believe and even in the South, to achieve such a historic run. But the story of that run and everything afterwards is even more interesting. And I remember it clearly. I was getting ready to do a speech at UCF, and on my way to the lectern, my friend, Alicia Adamson, now she, at the time she was Alicia Adamson, now she's Alicia Adamson Prophet, called me with some gossipy news. He said, Kamara. And I said, like, what's up, Alicia? I'm at dinner with Ben Crump and Natalie Jackson, and I had to run to the bathroom. Let me tell you this. You know when it's, it's real good gossip when somebody has to leave the table in order to tell you what's going on. Like, they couldn't even wait. So anyway, she said, I was... Sitting around the table, and we were wondering who should run for Orange County and Osceola County State Attorney, and Ben brought up Aramis, and all of us was like, yes, she should do it. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it's just like, that's why I had to run to the bathroom and tell Kamara. And I remember I, I remember I immediately got excited, and suddenly I didn't even care about my speech. Um, the only thing that was going through my mind was visions of Aramis running and winning, and that flooded my head. And I saw it as clear as my own reflection. And I told Alicia, yes, this needs to happen. Who's going to ask her? 
Leisha responded that she's not sure, but she just got to get back to dinner. And I told her, yep, yep, yep. I got to get back to my speech because obviously I still have stuff to do. But I was excited. Actually, looking back, I think that that news gave me a jolt of energy because that speech was fiery. I don't remember what I said. but I just remember everybody was, was excited. Um, and it's funny that I can't remember the speech, but I remember the moment, right? So anyways, as soon as I left the stage, uh, I called Alicia back. And then she detailed the conversation and told me that um, Aramis was made aware of the conversation. But she was hesitant. And I said, okay, let me call her. And it was after 9 p.m. Actually, it was 9.07 to be exact. I was driving home from UCF. I remember this distinctively. Aramis picked up the phone. And the first thing I said to her was, you need to do this. And to her shock, she was like, now, wait a minute. How the heck do you even know what's going on? And, you know, this literally was presented to me like a few minutes ago. And so we decided to, we joked a little bit about how I know everything and that she doesn't need to worry about where I got my information from. But uh, then it got serious. And I, you know, with her and I told her, I said, listen, I will walk with you every step of the way. That was my promise to her. And that's exactly what I did. From advice to consulting to fundraising, even just times of encouragement on that campaign. But I was there. And we did it. We won. And I say we because to this day, her campaign still remains one of my favorite achievement moments of my life. But things weren't, weren't always so sweet because Markeith Lloyd happened. And he murdered several Central Florida readings, including a popular law, enforcement, popular law enforcement officer and Deborah Clayton. And everybody thought this was a forlong conclusion that he would receive the death penalty. Aramis, however had other ideas, and stuck to the core of her principles. She chose not to seek the death penalty. Now, this decision would have seemed to be political suicide. And if not, Rick Scott was definitely going to try to murder her career by taking away not only the cases, but funding and pretty much taking off her arm of taking away her arm of being a prosecutor. Millions of dollars were taken from the department. The department was in turmoil. And they pretty much tried to put a tombstone over her career. Rick Scott tried to murder her politically. But you can't murder righteousness, no matter how hard you tried. And Aramis stuck to her guns. And that is part of what makes her so special. So like a phoenix rising from the proverbial ashes, Aramis rose again. And now she's poised to be the Democratic nominee for Florida Attorney General. I mean, we still have a couple weeks left to the election, but I'm lame, staking my claim here that it's going to happen. And just like you heard in the opening of her murdering her opponents on the debate stage, another moment I am very much proud of, Aramis has murdered all expectations that she does not have a political future. And that is why I am proud to have her on my pod. But before we get to that, welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamara Williams. I am your host. We say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is another way to discovered. We are uncultured. We are biased. We are black. If you're tuning in for the first time, welcome. If you are returning, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. We ask those who are listening on both Apple and Spotify to uh, leave a review. Um, that's how they measure engagement. So five-star review if you're so inclined and talk about what you love so much about this podcast. Um, you know, we would greatly appreciate it. Give a shout out to our sponsors this week at Coleman Law. Agree them at 850-597-2990. That's 850-597-2990 for business and real estate and tax needs. 
contact them. Um, they can help you out. If you're in the market for real estate, contact Keystone Global Real Estate at 407-680-8510. That's 407-680-8510. You can reach them for uh, both commercial and residential. And of course, if you're in the market for estate plan or trust or whatever, contact Smith & Williams at 888-SWTGLaw or 888-798-4529 or at info at SWTGLaw, of course, SWTGLaw.com. All right, brilliant. Now, we got through all that. Let's go ahead and bring on my special guest. You already know who this is because I've given an introduction, but what's going on? Hey, Kamara. What's going on? Go ahead and tell the crowd who you are. I am Aramis Ayala, um, currently running for attorney general for the state of Florida, formerly the uh, elected state attorney for Orange and Osceola counties, Mm -hmm. professor at the University of Central Florida, wife to an amazing man and mm-hmm. uh the mom of two wonderful daughters yeah shout out to david and your two wonderful daughters now listen i need you to do me a favor What's up? i need you to not be uptight uptight and not be a political candidate i need you to be my friend on the podcast dude that's why that's why i came for i'm good I'm okay good. you're good hold on okay you're, all right you're, you're gonna relax okay okay all right all right um so listen it went down memory lane a little bit. You did. So let's go down memory lane. Okay. Do you remember that moment when I, I called you? I do. I remember all of it. Because the first person who ever approached me was Natalie Jackson in the courtyard at the uh, courthouse. I remember that very clearly. And I remember the night Alicia called me. So I don't know if she ever told you. It <laughs> she was never told- her who was the one. Oh, they, <laughs> okay. Who they must have um, elected, if you will, to make the phone call. And she called. She's like, I'm sitting here with Ben and Natalie. <laughs> and we think you should run for, have you thought about running for state attorney? I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah. And I was. You know, I had no political aspirations um, whatsoever. I just wanted to be elevated to be a homicide prosecutor. And that was my career. Yeah. Yeah. And so Alicia then called you. Alicia called me and David was sitting right next to me. Um, As a matter of fact, I remember it vividly. We weren't even sitting on the sofa. We were sitting on the floor, leaned up against the sofa and we were talking. And then I hung up. I was like, that was weird. And he was like, what'd they say? And I told him, he was like, oh, okay. And we just went back to our business. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was, it did not, um, it didn't take root at that point. And then when I called, what was that? I remember at that point, I was like, wait, Kamara, baby, Kamara just called. He's a part of this. He's a part of this conspiracy. (laughs) 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 And I want to, if I remember correctly, Kamara, I think I put you on speaker and David was listening. If I remember that correctly. You always put my speaker on David. So that doesn't doesn't shock me. (laughs) Listen, when I call Aramis, I just assume David's there. Because I literally (laughs) talked, you can tell. I talk to both of you. You do. Because I'm assuming David's right there. You do. I mean, but that that's, that's our partnership. Though. Yeah, no, like, I know. I know. Anyone who is truly a friend of mine yeah. is, kicks it with David, too. Yeah. And, and, and vice versa. That's how we get down. If you yeah. can't roll with both of us, yeah. it's very unlikely that you're 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 genuine to individually. I'm a, you're, listen, you talk to Aramis, you might as well assume you're talking to David and vice versa. <laughs> like, there's no, like, I just spoke to David, but Aramis is not. Like, they are, there's no daylight between them. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, that doesn't shock me. So yeah, I think I did, if I remember correctly. <laughs> and you know, I was like, okay, they're really thinking, they're thinking about there, this. yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you know, I mean, you got to think about it. Like 
as a woman, yeah. as a black woman, everybody's always trying to navigate and pull your strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it can even be your people, and you're like, wait, hold on. Like, yeah, you're, yeah, not, yeah. you're not just going to come in and control my life and right, tell me right, what right, to do. Right. Um, so immediately, defenses go up. Yeah, like, yeah, what's, yeah. The, what's the real plan? Well, you, what's your motive here? Like, right. why are y'all. <laughs> what's your angle? Yeah, like, why are y'all trying <laughs> to push me to do this, this thing that's never been done before? A group of lawyers, yeah. all of y'all are qualified. Yeah. All of y'all could do this, but you want me, me to, to do, do it. This. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I um, then I started thinking about it and the inter- there were some interesting things that started unfolding bit by bit. And I remember being in that at that time I was a sex crimes prosecutor. Mm-hmm. Um, the attorney, the state attorney at that time called it uh, SVU. So I had sex crimes and domestic violence. Mm. And I always thought that was just such a mistake, you know, representing young children who had been violated in the most egregious way versus representing domestic violence victims. Mm. Two very different ways to prosecute. And I remember having the conversation that this should be separated. And it was internal office stuff that doesn't make good for politics. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, well, somebody should, whoever the next state attorney is, they should make sure that this happens. Right. And there was a guy in the office who everyone believed he was going to run. Yeah. You know who that is. Yeah. Um, And I was like, okay, well, maybe I should suggest to him, hey, make sure you separate the two. Yeah. And I remember letters going out. And I wanted a raise, so I had moved up to homicide. In between that time that I talked to you guys, I became a homicide prosecutor trying homicide cases. And I didn't get a raise. Mm. I remember that. I was like, wait a minute now. Yeah. So then letters went out to people who I think that he believed were a threat. And they all had ten dollars to $15,000 raises saying that he believed they were leaders in the office and he wanted to reward them. I came home. That's when that conversation, when you called, when Alicia called, and I told David, I was like, hey, he thinks that they're leaders, Mm -hmm. but not me. And there's people out in this community who think I can run this office. I think I need to start exploring this. That was a turn for me when the people think that I can run it, but you don't even think I'm a leader within. Right. Nah. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, not to divert the conversation, but it's fascinating um, how, like you could have a group, a sector of people on either side and they could have a completely different opinion of you, but they can totally mischaracterize you. And it could be a small group of people who really see you for what you are mm-hmm. and they can, and they see your true self and see your potential. And it's like, sometimes in, in life we have to choose who we want to, who we want to listen to because we can listen to the wrong group and they can really take us down a path of non-belief of non-purpose Right. Of saying, well, yeah, no, you're good where you're at. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do this. You're good where you're at. Like, why are you taking the risk? And if, you know, there's always voices who see something greater and be like, no, I think you could do better. Yeah. And I know you can do better. And I'm not going to I'm not telling you this because I want to put more on you. I'm telling you this because you're not meeting your purpose. And not only that, Kamara, when you're when you have people who believe in you, it's actually that they believe in a bigger vision and they're trying to put the right people in place exactly. to fulfill that vision. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when, when I received the call from you all, it wasn't about Aramis, you're greater. Mm-hmm. It was Aramis, we can be better and you can help lead us there. And yeah. that's a different way to approach it. That means this is the part of a larger, more expansive view. Right. Yeah. Because we did. We talked about a bigger purpose. We talked about a bigger platform. And we said, who is the best person to be a trustee for that? Yeah. You know, because sometimes we think when somebody, politicians, they, be, they become owners. They think to become owners of a vision and become owners of a purpose, become owner of the people. And there's a difference. Like, no, you are a trustee of this 
thing of ours, this, this community, this ideal. And we have to always remind people of that. And it's, it's when they get into this place of ownership, you get blocked and you get mentally and physically and even spiritually um, limited in your, in your advancement. And it becomes this whole, let's be honest, we're Mm -hmm. dealing with a narcissistic, you know, society that has Mm -hmm. a lot of tendencies. And as you call it a trustee, I often say fiduciary, but either way, as the one who's responsible, it's not about you. And it never has been. That's why, you know, I've had friends in this movement Remind me, Aramis, it's not about you, including the attacks. Mm. So that's why it's so easy to get past the attacks and keep moving on because it's what you stand for that's being attacked, not you. Because right. you, you just said a minute ago, people don't know me. Right. You know, the ones like you who know me to my core, know mm. what I stand for, that's wonderful. But what I'm moving, the, the, the movement that I'm ahead, the movement that I'm pushing, that's what's being attacked, and it just has my name on it. Right, Absolutely. So let's talk about then that campaign. Yeah. That was a very stressful campaign. To say the least, Kamara, you were there from day one. Yeah, you were day, from the attacks to the where's the money to the yeah. you can't do this to the, yeah. well, what us going to do if this don't work out? Yeah, yeah. No, listen. Oh, let me tell you something. Listen, there were very, very real conversations between Aramis and I, Ivory and I, my wife. Even Alicia and I, we... Me and David. Yeah, we looked at like, listen, if Aramis loses, I'm going to have to really relocate. Like, I'm done. Like, I cannot... I have sacrificed <laughs> way too much in, like, politically, intra, you know, intra-politically within the Orange and Osceola County to where I have made clear political enemies at this place. But, Kamara, that, when you really think about it, like, yeah, we laugh about it now, but David yeah. and I, we had to have an exit strategy. Like, yeah. we had to figure this out. But that's what it's all about. Change requires putting it all on the line. Mm-hmm. If you've never put it all on the line, right. then you've never really fought. Mm-mm. You never. And the thing is, what what it showed me was that to your point, to that exact point, that in order for something great, you have to be able to sacrifice. And I had to sacrifice something. I had to put some a pound of flesh in this. Mm-hmm. You know, you put greater pound pound of flesh in everybody. But you know, you know, your supporters, people who believed in you, and and. It's it's funny because it really was a small group. It was a very super small. It's very small group. Like it wasn't this big old political machine. We didn't need mass communications. We no. needed a small text message. Yeah, group. Te- yeah. It was a very <laughs> small group of people that believed in this campaign, and we were all like, "This gotta work out. This shit's gotta work. It's gotta work. It's just gotta work." Because I don't know, I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, on elect the day after election day. But I know what can happen. That's me not living here in Orange County. So I have to figure out this has to work. And um, I mean, it was it's it's funny now to talk about it. It, it the thing is, it's funny. We can make light of it, but there's so much meaning behind it. Too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. real talk. Like I think about all of the the people who weren't with us, who mm. saw something within us. Yeah. Right. And then. Once we were able to establish this momentum, then we got more people, yeah. you know, on board, and it created an entire change in the community. And that was exciting to yes. see people buy into something that they didn't know they needed to buy into until you presented that to them. Yeah, you know, that was exciting. Um, and it doesn't mean it was perfect. No, it was not perfect. But I'm just saying. But it was to see something organic mm-hmm. grow. Um, 
that was special. And then, you know, I know I'm jumping ahead here and we'll get to that. But then to see it again with Monique, mm-hmm. that was really, really special for Monique. And we'll get into your stage. I just want to mention Monique for a second here. That baton pass. Huh? That baton pass. That baton pass. Yeah. I want to ask you. Yeah. Is this, I've never, I never asked Monique to follow up on this. Okay. So this is like real life question. Oh, Lord. Did you really ask Monique to contact me? Like to, because. Absolutely. Okay. This is a question I had because she, I was not messing with Monique. I, I know you weren't. I was not messing. Cause I didn't want to get involved. I know this. Because I was like, <laughs> I was like, I already, this 2016 was so stressful. I just got my breath back is what you said. Yeah. And I was like, and I remember I told Ivory. I was like, I am not getting involved in the state attorney race. That was way too treacherous emotionally, like mentally, professionally. I just couldn't, I can't do it again. And I remember Monique was contacting me. You didn't tell me that though. What? <laughs> that you weren't getting involved again. I didn't tell you that. Yeah. No, but she was, she was inquiring, contacting me. And I was like, why is this woman contacting me? I, I am not getting involved. And then again, I bring up Alicia. Um, Alicia called me because Monique had gotten to her mm-hmm. and Monique had, let's just say it was a Tuesday. She contacted her and I guess he had a long conversation with Monique on Tuesday. And then Alicia calls me up immediately. Let's just show you how close Alicia and I are. So Alicia calls me. She's like, Oh yeah, Kamara, you're going to be supporting Monique. I was like, don't be signing me up for, for <laughs> something that I am. I'm not support. What? What are you talking about? Don't, don't throw my, said, yeah, I already told her. She said, cause Monique's like, well, what about Kamara? Alicia's like don't worry about Kamara he's gonna support you and I was like don't be speaking up for me like this like I was like you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna have a conversation on Friday so I will I text Monique because she's been trying to get a meeting with me and I text her I say hey listen and I I'm gonna we'll I'll give you 30 minutes 30 minutes to talk to me about you know your campaign and I remember thinking to myself I mean she could talk to me all the way I'm not getting involved I'm not getting involved. And so that Friday came and it was supposed to be a 30 minute conversation. We ended up being on the phone for three and a half hours. I got off the phone because I was like, who the hell are you talking to for three? Like, you know, like when you started, your wife is like, who are you talking to? For three and a half hours? I was like, Monique, she's like, still. So I got off the phone. I remember and I told her, oh, my God, I think I've just committed myself to the state attorney race. <laughs> and she said, why? I said, I believe in her. And I said, I believe in her the same way I've feel about Aramis and Ivory was like but you told me you were getting involved I said I don't I know but when I see something it's hard you should have been like wifey you know this about that black girl magic yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah she, uh, that's exactly what happened she she sold me and at that moment again I found myself in the midst of a going against a yeah. a candidate going with a candidate that nobody was expected to win and then we 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 uh were successful, but I I remember asking Monique. It was Monique told me in the midst. She's like, yeah. Um, she said she was struggling in the campaign, mm-hmm. and she says, and I I never asked. I never followed up. I just thought it was funny. She's she said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And then her to Monique's statement. I don't know. You could maybe clean this up. She said, Have you spoken to Kamara? And she's like, I don't know who that is. And he was like, You were like, You need to talk to Kamara because he helped me out. With my campaign. You know, here's the thing, Kamara. There are people who are part of the establishment. Yeah. There are people who, you know, are deeply um, connected to grassroots. 
And both of those can matter. Mm-hmm. But with what she did and what I was fortunate to do, it requires people who are unwaveringly committed to write. Yeah. That's really what it is. So like, it's not that like, oh, these are like the, you need, it's not these are the people who's the who's who. Right. What makes you the who's who is what you stand for. Right. And that's what I wanted her to know is that you need a team of people um, who will ride because it's what's right. They're right. willing to put it all in the line. So yeah, that was because I knew that you had it in you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, but you get you added more stress to my life. You know, I I, I didn't the way that life goes did. You know, um, I I introduced you to another opportunity to make change. That's how I I like to say it. That's fair. That's fair. You know, um, she needed it. She deserved it. She worked hard. You know, I I she is a personal friend. Disclaimer: I absolutely love her. Our families are forever connected. Yeah. Um, our husbands, our children, um, but outside of that, professionally. When I needed someone to build the Conviction conviction Integrity Unit, we were on the phone, and I remember she was like, Aramis, I'm not coming to work for no prosecutor. That was was the beginning of our conversation. I was like, that's exactly who I need, someone who understands that prosecution is more than conviction. Prosecution is justice. And from nothing, from nothing, she built the first conviction integrity unit. We worked hand in hand, you know, me as the state attorney, her as the director, filling out all the things, studying across the country, what it was working, what didn't. We had, even on differences of opinions, we looked at the data. She built that. And that is the essence of who I was as the state attorney. And someone who could build something great from nothing and who was committed to real justice, that's who the people needed. Right. Right. That's dope. I mean, and the fact that you recognize it and you saw that, you know, and you needed someone to your point to pass a baton, you know. So let's talk about your tenure as state attorney and we can then get into your run into attorney general. Um, Mm. Some good, great moments. You had a lot of great moments. Uh, You want to talk about the things that you want to start off with the great moments? Yeah. Let's talk about the great moments that you had as state attorney. You know, starting off, there were a lot of people who were ready. I mean, arms were open for change. Mm -hmm. So when we started looking at how we can do this, we started with juvenile reforms, went into major differences with diversion programs, looking at suspended license so we don't have that the poverty penalty. We changed the way that we um, were charging drug cases so that we could get more people treatment than just contributing to the mass incarceration. Um, You know, we looked at how we would uh, handle human trafficking and prostitution and looking at the distinction that was between hemp and weed and not charging unnecessarily. Um, A lot of the diversion programs, I already mentioned conviction integrity, our Brady list where we were able to expose officers who were not just, you know, um, terrorizing the community, but actually committing crimes within the community. Um, these are things that I was super proud of safe surrenders, you know, making sure people who had warrants would not be running from the police and having fleeing to elude and jeopardizing our safety, but could safely, um, you know, surrender themselves and have a warrant taken care of, you know, changing the culture of the office with cultural training. A lot of prosecutors are trained on how to file cases and how to build a case, but that cultural context with implicit bias, understanding the history of our criminal justice system, the racial disparities, and not being one who just blindly contributes to that when filing. Those are things. Bail reform. Um, Those are some of the things that I was extremely proud about, building a diverse team, building a diverse office, and um, 
the most, what I'm most proud about is all of that while never compromising public safety. Yeah. You know, we still supported and fought for women um, who were facing domestic violence. You know, I even received the Champion of Justice Award from Harbor House, our, our local de- domestic violence shelter. Our um, conviction rates for uh, homicides and, and, and other violent gun cases remain the same. So l- reminding people that we were able to make reforms and institute change without ever, you know, impacting negatively uh, public safety, even with the $1.4 million that was taken from my budget, we were able to do that and do it with dignity and always protect the public. That's what I was proud about. Yeah. And I'm, I, and that's one of the things I was always proud of and, and advocated for about, you know, even though when people talked about the tumultuous time of the, um, of, you know, your tenure, you know, I was like, well, you guys are focused on one thing. There are other things here that were so great and so special about her time and tenure that are, you cannot take away. And I think that's one of the things I, I don't know. Regret's not, a, it's not the word. I feel bad because I don't feel like people give you enough credit. But the thing is, when you do things for change, it takes time. Yeah. When you do things for credit, that's when you feel bad. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. feel bad because I know what I did. Mm-hmm. I know what we were able to accomplish. And I know in time that the foundation that was established is going to be built upon. Right. If I wanted it to be about me, yes, I would be sitting here, you know, shoulders slumped over, lip poked out, you know, tears rolling down my eyes. But it, again, it wasn't about me. It was about the change. Right. And that has to be the theme of what we do. Right, right. Absolutely. So, you know, let's get right into the the fact of why that 1.4 was taken away. And it's weird because history is kind of in a weird way repeating itself with Andrew Warren and DeSantis, but we'll get to that in a moment. But we'll see how there's similarities and there's differences. Um, Let's talk about, you know, how Rick Scott used you as a political platform for his Senate career, Senate um, race. You know, um, prosecutors, Kamara, any. Like, it doesn't take lawyers to know this, but you certainly know, whether it's law review articles, just studies of prosecutors, historically, it's been so protected. That prosecutorial discretion has been safeguarded. Right, right. And it's been really, like, what they deserved. When the face of the prosecutor and the heart of the prosecutor began to change, Mm. now it's not so okay. Right, right. When prosecutorial discretion has been used to, you know, fulfill this dream of mass incarceration Mm. to help this quote unquote war on drugs. Mm. All of the prosecutorial discretion has been, you know, used to harm young juveniles, harm, you know, inner city, black youth, black uh, black and brown people. Absolutely. When that's what's happening, there wasn't a problem. Right. But when you started electing black women, for example, Mm. as, as the elected prosecutor, because in that position, I represented 1% of elected prosecutors, but you also have them like Andrew Warren and others who may not have that face, but their heart and policies reflect the change that is needed in the community. We'll get to Andrew and the DeSantis thing. I agree though. um, Just with the idea behind what Rick Scott did. It's like when you step back even further now and you Mm -hmm. think about just how nefarious it was. um, I mean, we knew then it was wicked what he was trying to do. But like, even now when you look back, it's like, he, cause his Senate campaign, he didn't have it. He didn't have one mm-hmm. and he was looking for messaging. Mm-hmm. 
And so he used this as like, oh, this is political, you know, red meat. I can use this as a basis to kind of raise my profile. Because at the time, he was not very, he's not still not a popular individual, but he did something that was quote unquote politically popular. And I say politically popular because I remember Democrats also being in favor of the death penalty. It's still to this day. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you. Do you write my debate? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I will tell you to this, to this day, I, I, as a humanist, I know I don't believe in the death penalty. I don't believe, I don't believe in the death penalty to the point of both religiously and human wise. And 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 black. So there's three fate, three parts of that. Uh, religiously, I don't believe I can take someone's life. You know, that's that's not where my life. That's not where the spectrum of my life um, goes. As a human, I don't think anybody has the right to navigate who can win or who can um, uh, live, or uh, live or die. And then just talking about as a black person, I know that black people in general, especially throughout the the um, history of the United States, not only do we have a high propensity for getting the death penalty, but our cases in he, in this um, sordid history of our country have been shown to be manufactured um, criminality and forcing us to be, you know, be, uh, you know, being uh, subjected to the death penalty, even though we didn't deserve the death penalty. And it, that's why the innocence project was so, is so, um, is so uh, 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 not only special, but important. It's critical. You yeah. know, I, I always appreciate conversations about the death penalty because most of it has all this emotion behind it. Right. Right. And as leaders, we are supposed to eliminate the emotions and be rational about it. Right. That's what makes us different. You're talking about the innocence project. Let's not forget that Florida leads the nation in death row exonerations. We get it wrong the most. Right. So there's so many factual and, you know, financial reasons not to support it. But for me, I, you know, people often ask me, yeah, but why? Why? And I'm telling them why. They don't like the numbers. Mm-hmm. So I, I explain what's deep inside of me. When I took office, I had the, the quote in there um, by a philosopher by the name of Nietzsche. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it said, for those of you who fight monsters... Be careful that in the process you too don't become one. Mm. That 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 penetrated my soul. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my husband and telling my family that when I become state attorney, I want to grow, I want to be polished, I want to be better. Right. But I still want to be the same person mm-hmm. inside. And the minute that you lose your humanity yeah. because you are becoming like someone else who has already lost theirs, you can't ever get that back. Yeah, absolutely. And then the, the thing about it is, too, I remember we had the conversation um, before you made the announcement. And you gave me a courtesy call like two weeks before. And uh, you were like, I'm going to do something. It, it's not going to be politically you know, popular. I'm giving you some, you know, some. Uh, Get prepared. Yeah, prepared. <laughs> so if you want, if you need to step away from me, mm-hmm. you know, you, this is your time to kind of get that. And I appreciated that call. Um, but I remember that, uh, that night we had a conversation, and I asked, like, well, again, I just want to know. I'm not saying I disagree. I just want to know your why, mm-hmm. because if your why makes a difference, you know, for me, if you're doing for the right reasons. And I remember one of the things you said that 
often people forget is like, Kamar, and you, you send it on to families. The families right now, they're angry, mm-hmm. but they can't seek closure because the death penalty doesn't provide closure. It does not. You know, and a lot of times people are angry and they're like, I want a death. But it's like what people don't realize is that you spend the, the next 30 years. Literally. You know, waiting for this person to die. And then they go through the appeals, which they're afforded. Mm-hmm. And millions and of dollars. should be. And should be afforded. And millions of dollars, you know, state resources put into this particular individual. And then 30 plus years later, they now they finally you know, meet, meet the death. And then how or the law it, changes or the law changes, or you die before the person on death row, because that does happen frequently right. or the person on death row dies from some other reason other than the death penalty. Right. So you've spent your entire life with this thing that you can now, you can't grieve properly. It doesn't bring your loved one back. It doesn't bring your loved one back. And it's so, but we're so like, we need to, and if people think, yeah, get the death penalty. And then in two years, that's it's no. And so you were like, Kamara, you told me all the other, the human portions of it, but even like I family wise, I just don't, I can't provide the same type of level of comfort. You know, I don't, I know I shared this with you, but I haven't shared it completely publicly. When I was 18, my best friend was killed. Oh, Dion was shot and killed by her boyfriend. I was, I was 18. And I remember, um, obviously going to the funeral. Yeah. I remember, um, coming home, after my fr- during that summer when he was being tried, I was sat through trial the whole time as a young college kid with my best friend. And I remember like those feelings of, of anger. You know, I, I understand when people feel hatred. I understand when they're, they're feeling that because you, I just wanted her back. Right. I wanted to talk to Dion one more time. I wanted to say she's a beautiful human being. And I never talked about her even until I got ready to run for attorney general, which I know we'll get to, um, because she wasn't a political pawn for me. Mm-hmm. I had to have a long talk with her dad. I called her dad earlier this summer, and I was like, Mr. Braddock, I just want to talk to you. And um, I remember he said to me, Dion would be proud of you. Dion would go fight. And that, that made it very clear. But another thing is that when I was dealing with the, the Rick Scott and the attacks on the death penalty, my godbrother was killed. Mm. And he was killed by somebody who had killed before, mm. but Michigan didn't have the death penalty. Yeah. So I was being tested myself yeah. in the midst of all of it. When, you know, people sending me screenshots, did you see this person said this, how would she feel? So I'm thinking to myself, it's really not your business, but I have been touched by, right. you know, gun violence, by violence. Right. So the thing is, is what's fascinating about this, another part of that conversation we had, and I'm listening to you, and you said something that was really fascinating. You said, you know, Kamara, if I can't fight for the worst of us, mm-hmm. and you said Marquise Lloyd, make no mistake, but it was the worst of us. If I can't fight for the worst of us, how can I fight for the best of us? I, I know I said that because I believe in principled leadership. Yeah. Principled leadership is that which is the same mm-hmm. no matter who, no yeah. matter what, no matter where and no matter when, if we and our policies change with the wind, that's where discrimination and systemic racism starts. When those in power justify changing and moving that target, 
depending on who we're talking about, right. that's when injustice starts. If yeah. we give justice to the least, right. the last, the right. lost, right. then we know that everyone else will get justice as well. Right, because, you know, if justice is in, justice lives with those who don't deserve it, then we know justice lives, period. That's exactly. So this is where we're talking about, you know, I, I've shared with it on, on the campaign trail. This real thing is grooming, right? Like mm-hmm. it was so easy to talk about um, people with convictions and felony convictions and how their rights should be violated, right? right. If we know that there was a gun, if right. we know there were drugs right. and their Fourth Amendment um, right mm, protection, yeah. we all, well, they shouldn't have had the gun right. or they shouldn't have done right, this, right. Right? right? Then you move on to the immigrants. Right. And, well, they should have found a, a, the pathway. They shouldn't have come here right. illegally. And then you get people on that side. Right. And then you move on to yeah. the people who, you know, get stopped by the police. Well, yeah. they should have just listened. Right. You it, start dehumanizing people's that's you grooming know, you're grooming them yeah and you know it, to that point i now i just it's trying to crystallize to me what was so nefarious about rick scott he used a black man's political he used a black man and i you know i don't like marquise lloyd but he this is probably he's a black man um and his ordeal and the death of a black woman you know and in the you know, position of a black woman in the community, a political, and he used polit- he used black people to propagate and to use as a pillar for his own political gain. And then it was remarkable how many black people, black Democrats, came to me and were like, "Well, Rick Scott was right." I'm like, Rick Scott, <laughs> like this is the same Rick Scott who doesn't give a damn about your black ass, but now all of a sudden, Rick Scott is you 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 don't see what's happening. And they couldn't get it. They they're so emotionally tied into it. They was like, I, it drove me insane. But I, the th- here's the thing, Kamara. I wasn't upset because I get it. You That's weren't upset. I-, I was upset. <laughs> you didn't have to be upset. I was upset. But we, here's the thing. If we respond to their anger with our own, we never remain on our principles. Mm-hmm. We have to respond to their anger with principles and not our emotions. I remember somebody told me, and I don't even know if this is true, but I was so upset. They were like, yo, call me on the phone. Like, yeah, you need to chill on, like, chill on, uh, you know, rocking with Aramis on this issue. I'm like, why? Because Rick Scott's making a list of people, politically, a political list, and you're on that list. And I was told by that, and you need to tell your boy he needs to relax because he's on the list. I said, let me tell you something. <laughs> there ain't nothing that Rick Scott's going to do to me. That's going to make me stop. I said, let me, and you could go tell the person that I don't give a damn if I'm on no damn political list that I don't even believe exists anyway. But if it, if, if it did, it wouldn't matter because I know I'm on the side of right and I don't give a damn whatever list that Rick Scott's doing that I know I'm doing the right damn thing. But that's the fear, right? right. If they can get enough people with fear because we, we finally made it. Right. You know, we made it to the promised land. Right. And then now someone's going to start chipping away and taking it. You know, she didn't upset. The, I, I, I mean, I went through this even with me just running. Like, what you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, that's, it's not your time. It's not your turn. Yeah. When I make the decision that is legally, constitutionally. I mean, anybody read um, the uh, Thurgood Marshall's opinion, you know, on the mm-hmm. death penalty? Like. Mm. And these are things that like we should understand how the Eighth Amendment works. Right. And I understand, yes, it was overturned, but there's substance in there. Right. And let's look about why it was overturned. Um, but, you know, you make a decision. It's like, what you doing? I'm making progress. 
What? How did you feel? I never asked you this, but how did you, how did you feel when you first learned that he was taking away that money and and oh. a part of your department? Like, what was your initial reaction? So I I clearly it all happened so quickly. Yeah, I didn't. It happened that quickly. I couldn't even tell you. There were no feelings. It yeah. was just it was autopilot. So I made the announcement. Yeah. And then I came back to my office. I remember being in the conference room and I was like, okay, that's over. Right. Yeah. And the next thing I know, someone's like, the governor wants to talk to you. I was like, the governor want to talk to me? Me? What is the right? governor? What is What is the, so, No, no, no. Yeah. I take that back. No. They said the governor was doing a press conference. Oh. And they were like, he's talking about you. And I was like, wait, he talking about me before he talks to me? That's yeah. the first sign yeah. that there's a big problem. Like, you're right? like, er? Like, I, I really am <laughs> yeah. an elected official who right. they're talking about. Right. But you can't even dignify with a call. Right. So I then picked up the phone to call him. Mm. And I called him and they wanted me to speak to his assistant. I said, my assistant's not calling. Yeah. I'm calling. So yeah. I'll wait for him to return my phone call. Yeah. So he called me back and he said, Mr. Ayala, you know, I definitely disagree with your decision. And you need to retract that or I will respond accordingly. And I said, well, are you interested in why I did it? He said, I am not. I said, okay, well, then you do what you need to do. That was our conversation. Wow. And at that point, I was like, whatever you're going to do, I'm not going to um, respond in weakness. Yeah. I'm going to respond in the strength upon which I stood to make that decision. It's the audacity for me. But you know what? White, rich white men have, you know, listen, I'll, I'll go on a tangent here. I... That that tracks. I just want to say, you know, I mean, I don't even care to hear what your opinion is. You just need to do what, like, bruh, like I am, you know, you didn't appoint me. <laughs> you did not appoint me. That's what they, I think the one, the case they used yeah. in, in New York to, to justify him taking yeah. the case. That was an appointment. That was not an election. Uh, you know, I was, I'm a duly elected official and you decided to act like I was appointed elected official and try to tell me how to do my job. That you aren't even qualified to do, sir. Not even qualified. And that, that's that was. He's not, he's not even qualified to be a. Oh God, I can't stand Rick Scott. That that has been one of the hardest things, you know, in this position when you do break glass ceilings and you become the yeah. first, is that your criticisms come from a lot of people who aren't even qualified to do your job, mm. you know, and that's the yeah. thing about the state attorney and what's up next is the attorney general. Those are jobs that aren't just political. There are qualifications that are required for that and not just age qualifications. There are educational qualifications for that job. Yeah. Let's move into what you see again, history repeating itself with Andrew Warren and DeSantis. When you saw it, what was your first reaction? Like kind of like deja vu. Cause it felt like deja vu to me. It honestly felt like y'all didn't see this coming. Um, like that's, yeah. that's, that's how I felt. You know, yeah. I, um, every brief that supported me in my lawsuit talked about prosecutorial discretion. Yeah. Every brief against me talked about the death penalty. Hmm. So it was interesting that people who weren't on board appeared to agree with the snatching, literally the hijacking of prosecutorial discretion yeah. and not fighting back against that. Right. And I, I was thinking, the first thing I thought to myself was the map. You know, Andrew Warren, as yeah. I continue to say, was elected, yeah. was reelected in a community where DeSantis did not win the popular vote. Right. 
So you now have not only attacked prosecutorial discretion, yeah. you've attacked voting rights, right. which is your MO at this particular time with your yeah. suppression and your tactics. Right. You've attacked women. And most importantly, you've attacked free speech yeah. because there's not a case. Right. You know, at least Rick Scott had a state versus right. Lloyd case. Right. There is no case that Andrew Warren refused to prosecute. Right. So he's free to say what he can say right. as a position. Right. And I thought was was even more fascinating was the was the the direction in which they didn't to your point they didn't want like him to even make a comment like you you want to control from the outside you want to control how he thinks you want to control how he what he says you want to control everything about a an elected official and I was like y'all don't see how dangerous that is like you you really want the governor being able to tell elected officials you don't have the right to say something. But that's what this whole, the reason that people are saying stay away from the culture wars yeah. is because the culture wars take us down rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. You know, well, I want, I want to be able to teach my kids about slavery. I want kids to understand about, you know, LGBTQ. I want women to be able to have bodily autonomy. When we stay on those issues, we forget the larger, more expansive view that mm. authorizes the suppression and oppression of those issues. Right. Absolutely. You know, um, what do you think the re is a response? Because I feel like I feel differently, but you made you were in the middle of it. I feel like the response to Andrew was a lot different than the response to you. Yes, it was. You know, <laughs> you want to talk about that? <laughs> I, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. It's, yeah. it's 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 one of those things. I'll say, it. you know, as a white man. <laughs> Um, I did see that the response to Andrew's position was a lot different than the response to Aramis. And I'm not going to get you in trouble because you're still running for attorney general. I can't get in trouble because he can't cancel the podcast. So I'm going to say it. And I will often, I will say that the same people that were backing Andrew, I remember distinctively were very much quiet around Aramis. So I'm going to I'm going to have to say something a little different. What I will say is that it is much easier to speak out for women's rights and right to access abortion okay. than fighting against the death penalty. So okay. once again, we're still not focused on the prosecutorial right. discretion. Right. We're still focused on the issue mm -hmm. that's at, at at hand, that's the topic versus the the, the larger um, attack. It is really, really, really the danger and the threat to our democracy. Yeah. Um, transitioning into your run for attorney general. Mm -hmm. But the transition I, I wonder about is, was there a time that you felt that the Democratic Party, because I felt this way, kind of like pushed you to cast you aside a little bit? That would, that would require me to ever be a part of them. That would, okay. like, you okay. can't... I, <clears throat> Do you understand my question? Yes. I, yeah. I, I, I definitely, <clears throat> excuse me. There are people who, you know, are chosen. Yeah. Because for whatever reason, who you know, what you'll say, what you won't say, you know, and I've never been chosen except by the people, which is why I continue to run campaigns that are, are, are that speak power. to the people. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, for me, just, again, I'm not part of the Democratic Party. I'm not part of FDP, Florida Democratic Party um, infrastructure. So, but I have a number of relationships within it. And I can tell that the response to you hasn't always been gracious. Mm -hmm. 
And it's very, very frustrating as a supporter of you. Um, you may not be able to come on, comment on this, but I can say it's frustrating as a supporter of you um, hearing how people try to disparage your candidacy or disparage your right or your ability to even um, think, you know, the to think that you would even run for attorney general. And these are people with some say within the Florida Democratic Party. And I do get exhausted always having to fight battles that you don't need. You really don't think you should be able to fight. You should have to fight. So here, here's the issue. Mm-hmm. Until we have a party that truly reflects the voice and the vision of the people, mm-hmm. we're going to have that type of distinction. Yeah. So I think my candidacy, especially coming through this primary, is not just going to bring hope. It's going to bring change. Mm-hmm. Because now you have someone who is towards the top of the ticket, a statewide candidate who is reflecting the voice of the people versus the vision of the powerful. Right. Absolutely. But even in that run, let's talk about it. Like, I feel like, again, they're pushing these two other candidates. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that that is a difficult part of it because... Unofficially, by the way. There's no the primary, you can't... The Democratic Party can't pick a candidate, but there's ways to pick without picking. Absolutely. I mean, the the level of support based upon my qualifications, experience, and commitment to what I think are the party's values. You know, I mean, these, it's, it, let's be honest, it's a Democratic Party. Yeah. You have one person who has run for office as a Republican NPA and a Democrat. You have another. You sure not talking about governor? <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me in that, Kamara. Do not. Do not get me in that. I know. I'm just messing with you. But it sounds vaguely similar. And he's an old white man that's running for... Uh, it sounds very familiar. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> and then you have another who literally yeah. became a Democrat to run for this seat. Yeah. And when you look at his registration as a Democrat on in February of 2020, hmm. and then this is who the party is saying is our guy. Right. Or at least not saying that the person who has been with the party, who has represented the party, who has always had the party's values, who has never been a Republican, and that's 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 a little bit or a lot bit concerning to me. Yeah. That, that doesn't seem to you know matter to anyone because I can assure you that if I were to change parties and become a Republican just to run for an office, I would not be trusted. I yeah. would not. I would not have a, a shoe in. I would not even be able to compete with a well qualified Republican to run for any seat. And that is the thing that bothers me greatly about the Democratic Party, is that if you look on the other side, Republicans stay on message and they stay on profile. They do. They would not give somebody the mantle um, to run to run for a Republican if they were former Democrat. And the only time they did that was when this person insulted his way to the presidency, you know, and they really didn't want him to be the mm-hmm. president. The Republican establishment didn't want him to, but he, his popularity is what got him the nomination, not because the Republicans really were, like, rocking with him like that. But in general, Republicans don't just give people who are former Democrats the, you know, the mantle to run for this seat. Correct. That's not, especially if there's a contested primary. Right. And, and when you have a well-qualified individual right. who is the voice of the people. But Democrats, the first thing they'll say, and it's weird because I've, I've never heard a Republican say this. I've never heard a Republican say, well, you know, as a former Democrat and he's a Republican now, 
or, or she's a Republican now, they're going to be able to get Democrats to vote for us. Mm-hmm. But it's always interesting for me to hear how Democrats say, well, as a former Republican and now he's a Democrat or she's a, de- she's a former Republican, now she's a Democrat, uh, they're going to be able to get Republicans vote for us. I'm like, why is that always a one? Because that's not true. But that's what that that whenever there is oppression, it always works that way. Right. The oppressed are the ones who have to constantly move. The right. powerful aren't the ones who are conceding any power. Right. And I'm not saying it's a hard and fast rule. Yes, there I'm, are Republicans that vote Democrat occasionally on elections. But for the basis of why you choose a candidate, because you think that's the case, instead of saying, I believe this person has the base democratic principles and that's what I'm voting for your principle in lies with, I think he, he or she can convert people to vote for it. And that, that's not to me a winning strategy because you don't believe that means you don't believe in a democratic principles. It, it, that's exactly. I mean the, the opponents I have their, their platform is not substance of democratic values. It's I can raise more money. It's I'm the one who's electable. Mm-hmm. It's um, you can't win in the general. It has nothing to do with, I'm going to fight for the people and the people's interest. So much of our strategy has been to come back to the middle instead of expanding the electorate and inviting in those who really want to see a change. In fact, to that point, I often argue that if you explain to people what a democratic values are, the party, what we're, you know, what we're exactly fighting for, you expand that base and you create more believers it's hard to create believers in Republican principles because they, their principles are in line with limiting other people access. Mm-hmm. But when you tell people like, listen, the reason I'm pushing because I want, I believe everybody, regardless of your, of your political spectrum should have a right to X, Y, and Z. You, that's a winning argument. And when we walk away from those things, because we're afraid, we're afraid of alienating Republican people, that's a problem to me. And I, I think there's a, that's why it's a fundamental issue within a, um, for, especially for the Florida Democratic Party. Well, they don't really have good leadership. I don't give a shit about that. I'll say it. They don't, I don't believe in Florida Democratic Party's leadership. You know, you don't have to say that because you're, you're running, but I'm saying it. The, the, the real issue, I think, is that we are, you know, perpetuating this Democrat versus Republican. So we're harsh, harsh, harsh Democrats instead of just being inclusive. Mm-hmm. Like telling, like you said, not focusing on that, but focusing on our values, what makes us the Democratic Party. Right. Because otherwise it does become a us versus them instead of all of us included. Right. You know, and I think that the message has to be the elimination of fear, but actually it also has to include some realities that are very scary. Right. That if we don't get the cabinet, if we don't get the governor's seat, the continued, you know, deterioration of our, our rights is is very real. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about like why would you want to be part of this cabinet? Okay, listen, I'm supporting a certain person for governor. But Say a certain person like we don't all know. Nikki Freed. Cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm supporting Nikki Freed for governor. And even in that space, I understand <clears throat> the uphill battle in order to get to that you know, gubernatorial seat. The assumption that she wins. But let's say something that she's going to lose, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, she gets to that. that she, first of all, she has to beat, has to beat um, a certain person in the, in the primary. In order to get that. So that's not even a guarantee. Right. 
But let's say that the percentages are that, you know, DeSantis is reelected. And then now you're the attorney general. Mm-hmm. How do you, have you thought about how you would actually be on the same cabinet with this person? Like, where, how would you deal with the person who's clearly on the opposite side of you? Because right now, Ashley Moody operates like she's an appointed official. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. So I think that first it's important to realize, now I am going back in a, like, mode, like, not yeah. kicking it mode. Yeah. The cabinet was created to decentralize power from right. the governor. That's right. the purpose of it. Right. So the attorney general, the CFO, and the um, Commission of Agriculture, it is their job not to enhance or perpetuate or uplift the power of the governor, but to decentralize it so that there is a larger impact as the voice of the people. Right. So as attorney general, I truly, people ask me, like, are you concerned? I think he's got to be more concerned about me being on that captain than I have about him being reelected right. because it takes the legal force of the state right. in order to back all of his unconstitutional laws. Right. And if he doesn't have that, he then loses or has to pay out of his own pocket. Mm. Yeah. So the the threat is really on him, not me, because I have an oath to oath that says I'm going to uphold the Constitution. Right. When you pass unconstitutional laws, that is the job of the Attorney General to protect the people against that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I could see why you know he'd be nervous about having people on his cabinet that are, especially someone with the as the Attorney General. Um, that are in direct opposition to his objectives. Um, you know, like I said, Ashley Moody, like the thing about the difficulty, I think, and we're going to just talking friend, but I'm putting, taking, taking off the friend and putting on a political hat here. The difficulty you are going to have in this campaign is that a lot of people don't even know who the fuck Ashley Moody is. Like, you think that's a difficulty though? That is. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you, let me tell you why, because the way people think is that, you know what, so-and-so is out, is operating for re-election. They never really affected me. I don't really know they exist. All right, I'll check the box. I feel like most people, they have to have, a, if, when you don't have a strong emotion against something, somebody, the default mechanism is for them to keep status quo. Agreed. Now, everyone talks about the amount of money she's raising. Mm-hmm. In order for her to raise money, she has to have a platform that is against everything that I am for. Facts. So part of the money she's spending is going to increase my profile, okay. especially with the NPAs right. and the Republicans who are like, how is is DeSantis getting all of this unconstitutional law passed? Mm. So part of her funding is going to help me as a Democratic candidate because it's just me versus her. Right. In that, she's going to take some losses. Okay. So your thing is that based on her enhancing her profile, yes. you know, people, you know, you know the shining, uh, um, shining sunlight on who she is. I come with it. You come with it. And it's like, because for most part, again, when I talk to people, I'll be like, I just kind of want to ask, like, what do you think about Ashley Moody? I don't know who that is. You right. know? Her name ID is extremely low. Right. And as I remind people, which is totally not just my stump, but my truth. You have an attorney. You don't know your attorney's name? Mm, yeah. I mean, Kamara, you're an attorney. Can you imagine your clients not knowing your name? No, but I'm also very loud. 
And, that's, and the attorney general should be very right, loud. Right, right, and I, right. I mean, the thing is, no, if, yeah, if, I get you. I get you. If yeah. you have an attorney and that's yeah. her job, I bet Ron DeSantis knows her name. Right. If he knows her name better than you, she's failing the people. Right. Right. And she, like her profile again goes to like somebody who's like she was hired by Ron DeSantis. Yeah, and all what, of what do you think that's about? Well, your I mean, opinion. There, your opinion. Yeah. There's, there's the they have to function as a group in order to make progress. That's what they get. Mm -hmm. So you will give up your own identity, your own views, your own vision. And political autonomy. Absolutely. Your political autonomy for the greater good. Right. And the problem is that that greater good really isn't greater for the people. Right. But we on the other side fail to do that. And we're on the right side of that change. So, you know, there's promises that are made. There's a, there's this structure and infrastructure within which they're working. And she just happens to fill one of the spots. Mm -hmm. You know, her, her rhetoric is extremely divisive. Yeah. You know, you cannot say I'm with public safety, but you're defending, you know, Trump, the, the search of Mar-a-Lago. You can't, you can't do that. Yeah. You know, and the fact again, that she didn't know, about the search warrant being executed I is how you, certainly concerning. I loved how you highlighted that on Twitter, and I think you should repeat that. Why is that concerning, Aramis? You are the top law enforcement officer of the state, yeah. which means that you can help yeah. or you can harm. Right. When outsiders come in, they make an assessment of whether you will help them with their mission mm-hmm. or whether you will harm it. And if you will harm it, you will not be included in that. Mm-hmm. So their failure to include her means that she is a threat to what they were attempting to do, which is national security and protecting the people. So you hear that? So the fact of the matter is, Merrick Garland said, he took an <laughs> assessment of the state, and he said, all right, we're going to, we have a high-profile individual we need to serve a warrant on. All right, it is customary to talk to the highest, uh, the <laughs> highest law enforcement person in the state to let them know we're playing in their backyard. We're coming in. We're coming in to get this high-profile target, just so you know, Right. And the fact that they didn't even let them know shows you something. So let me let me g- even give it a bigger spectrum here. If, in fact, we were going to get a high-profile target in United Kingdom, you best believe <laughs> Biden would call the prime minister, is, you know, now Boris is stepping down, but call the prime minister, hey, listen, I just let you know there's a high-profile criminal target in your, in, you know, United Kingdom here. Um we need to go in there and we're going to have our agents to go ahead and get them. Just giving you some understanding what's happening. If in fact they did not contact that, they'd be like, you didn't trust us with the information. Why are you being so sneaky? What's going on? What's the problem? Let me tell you. Yeah. When they were doing the search and they located Marquise Lloyd, I knew. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like that, they, they didn't have to tell me that. Right. But there was a level of trust that I would not compromise that. Mm-hmm. I would not and I did not. Right. You have to be trusted if you are going <clears throat> to truly protect the people. Right. That that that's required. You have to like me. Right. But to trust me is a big deal. Right. And the fact of the matter is, you know, they didn't trust it. And you have to now you have to and I'm giving you some, you know, you could take that if you want it, but trust is an issue. And if you have to if if somebody doesn't trust you, to execute a high-profile target, we have to figure out why don't they trust you. Mm-hmm. The why is the biggest thing, and the campaign on that why. Why don't they, why doesn't the government trust you to execute a warrant? 
Why does that? What's what's going on with that? Have y'all not questioned that? Is that everybody else's? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. so, like, you create the campaign of she can't be trusted. She cannot by her own peeps. Yeah, like y- you, you cannot be trusted. And then you kind of put her in the framework of DeSantis. Like, if she cannot be trusted, that means DeSantis cannot be trusted. And then you make it's a package deal. But the problem with making a package deal is that DeSantis is the big bully on the block, and he's hard to campaign against him. Because you have people who are complacent about, you know, my life is fine. I don't really see any change about DeSantis doing. I'm going to go ahead and. Do you really believe that though, Kamara? Do I believe that he, my life is fine? Yeah. No, No. I'm saying, I'm saying, I think too many Floridians have been directly impacted by his policies. We are a diverse state. I know, but what I'm telling you is when I talk to Floridians, for the most part, they don't really know. They're, They're not paying attention. Like, all they know, and I'm telling you, the biggest thing is, weirdly enough, is that uh, Florida didn't turn out to be, like, um, California and New York as far as COVID. And he kept the state open despite health, you know. And the fact of his being defined against that, you have people in business who are, quote-unquote, registered Democrats who look at it and be like, you know what, I don't really like DeSantis, but... You know, I didn't lose my business behind it. And do you have people in California and New York, the stories are, you know, I mean, I just numerous about business being like, I've had a business for 20 years. They forced me to shut down. I had a business for 30 years. They forced me to shut down and my livelihood was taken away. So you have to then take into account that there are people that financially and economically, they don't look at DeSantis as a bad person. They may not like who he is. It's the same Trumpian thing. I don't like what he did. I don't like his caricature. I don't like, you know, his philosophy. But when it came to my life, he actually didn't hurt me. He helped me in a way because he didn't shut the state down. That's something that I don't think Democrats understand. And I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about, again, I'm just going to say it. My problem with Democrats when they keep talking about Trump and like how Biden was able to beat Trump. And I'm like, yeah, but the difference between Biden, I mean, the difference between Trump and DeSantis is that people were emotionally exhausted for Trump. I don't get the fact that people are emotionally exhausted with DeSantis. I think there is a section of people who can't stand him raising my hand, right? But I don't get that exhaustion. But that the national, the DNC did a really good job of frustrating people with, like, we were flooded with, um, you know, the the hypocrisy and the dangerous policies of Trump. DeSantis, I don't think locally that is happening. Yeah, locally, F- National will come in and assist with that. Yeah, FDP. So you recognize that FDP has dropped the ball. So she's not saying it. I'm the one. She's chuckling here because she can't say these things. But I can say it. The FDP. Oh, I can say it. I'm Just know I ain't scared to say it. I yeah, just, yeah, okay. It's fine. But I'm going to say once again, how the FDP, in many ways, dropped the ball on messaging and creating a narrative around DeSantis and allowed him to create a narrative around himself where he's, you know, he's called it the free Florida, free Florida. And, you know, despite the things he done that makes it, not, it doesn't really seem free. Because we're always on the defense. Yeah. 
And that's what I have done already on my campaign is I'm trying to make sure that Ashley Moody is on the defense herself. You're not trusted. You aren't for public safety. You don't care about the people. You are the governors. Like, I'm not I'm not running this campaign on defense. I have too many good things that I and my team have been able to do, and she has not done anything. She continues to be divisive. Oh, in Florida, we back the blue. Oh, we're, we're this. and we're, I mean, wonderful. But mm-hmm. what have you done for the people? Mm-hmm. That that's absolutely great, but to right. to make it as if it's blue versus the people, like right. stop, like that's not helpful. Right. That, I mean, that's old. Right, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I know because we, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but I do feel like you are going to, you know, come out on this as far as in the primary. Um, no, I'm talking about primary because we. I said we're getting ahead of ourselves with acting like you're gonna. You've already won the primary. Oh, yeah. She gave me a look. Look, <laughs> the look you gave me. I'm saying that. I'm saying that in the primary, I think you're you're you got it. Right. You know. And there's and, there's, and, there's, there's no a comma, sir. There's no comma. I'm saying because I don't want to be ahead. I don't want to put the cart before the horse. So I just want to say that I, I do. I, I don't. I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say it until we until we do it, right? Because I, I don't want to be like, yeah, we're going to take on Ashley Moody, and it's like we got to take care of business first. In I the got primary. you. Fair, fair, fair. Okay, I mean, you just gave me. You a can look. say it. You can say it, but I'm all the way. I know. November eighth. I know. November eighth. I know. I'm just. I have to be because I have to be. Um, you know, it's not until we know. Until we know, we I can't, we got to be. We got to. You know, can't count our chickens before they hatch, right? One, two. Right. Um, so, but I do feel confident about it. I feel very confident. Um, I don't know why I feel confident, you know, because I just feel like you have, well, I do know why. Um, I feel like you have grassroots support. Yes. I feel like you have democratic principles and I feel like you're just a better candidate. You know, I believe that this race is going to be one on the ground. Yeah. You know, there's, if you look at the the win number, if you look at the number that is necessary for me to win this race, mm-hmm. this is, you know, you've got one candidate who is very familiar from running multiple times in his community. Yeah. I'm going to have a piece of that. Yeah. You have one who is really just campaigning on social media. I'm going to have a piece of that. Yeah. But where I'm strong, grassroots, yeah. with the people in my hometown, I4 Corridor. Yeah. Neither one of them have a, a handle on that. Yeah. So, you know, when I have people on the ground, literally from Escambia County all the way to the tip down to Key Miami. West, yeah. yeah. Like, and I know that we're, I'm at doors. I know neither one of them are knocking on doors. No, they're not. Yeah. No, and it's hot out there. Yeah. You know <laughs> so, what I always say about the candidate? Show me the candidate who's willing to knock on door in, in the middle of August. And that's the candidate I'm going to back. Yeah, we've and, done it. Yeah. And, and we'll continue to. It's weird though, right? Because like. Here we are. We find ourselves once again in a campaign where you are the underdog politically, the underdog, and raising the least amount of money. Why are you chuckling? I'm just saying because I'm I'm thinking to myself all the work, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You know how do we how do we find ourselves here? Anyway, it's like why are we, why are we always in, in this space? Like what is that about? Like you know, I don't know. That's like is that just I just sometimes I sit back like why am I always back in the underdogs? What is that about me? What am I doing in my life <laughs> where I can never just pick somebody who is a front runner? Like <laughs> because you pick the winner? Because I do pick the winners. You pick the winner. You may yeah. not pick the front runner, but it's that it's like that real good um, you know, race. 
right? Yeah. Where you see, and then all of a sudden you see him walking them mm. bit by bit, bit by bit, and yeah. then you see the win. So, you know, mm. you pick the, the winning racehorse, that's what matters in the end. That's what matters, but it's very, very stressful. It is stressful, but the win yeah. means more. It does mean more. The win means way more, and eventually we will be on the other side where the whole conversation about electability and, you know, can this person do it and all of the dog whistles, we will know what they mean and eventually they will be silenced. And I really hope in this primary, I hope between your candidacy and Nikki's candidacy that it finally kills this narrative about what electability is. Because we saw it in Andrew and they tried to, even then, even after with Andrew, they tried to... Um, say well the reason he won is because it was such a crowded field and da, 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 and he didn't really have you know and so we and Gwen, and then even now and we know obviously we know what happened with Andrew and we're like well now, now this whole thing like I think Gwen Graham would have would have beaten Rhonda's hands I'm like Gwen Graham would have gotten close y'all keep messing around and thinking that Andrew lost by 20 less than 20,000 votes but the thing is it's easy to look in hindsight the, the reality is she's still a woman and like People still have issues with women and minority candidates. Well, the, even the fact is, it's easy to say that they would have now. But I'm, I'm even going taken away from the you know the physical character. I'm talking about as a candidate, she didn't drive energy. She didn't drive interest enough, and Andrew did. And I, when I look at a candidate, I always one of the things I look at like who drives energy. And I just didn't see it. And I just the same way now, I just don't see it. I don't see it about certain people who they keep propagating, propping up as this is, the, this is who can beat so-and-so. And I'm like, where's the energy? It's the money. It's the, the money's it, right. That, it's but, the money. But take away the money. But that you're saying take it away because you're being rational and you're being grounded. Right. But the truth is people believe that what wins is money. And that's not energy. And, and it's weird because we've been proven over and over again, but that is not the case, both locally and nationally. Money does not win elections. Energy it, does. It can if you have enough, but most of the time it's not enough. Money with energy wins. Yes. Yes. Not just money. Right? And we keep, especially Democrats, keep falling into this thing of thinking that it's money that wins elections. No, it's energy. And I, if you don't have the energy for it, you know, that's a problem. But with that being said, um, because I know you got a lot, you you, 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 gave, you graced me with your time on this thing. First of all, I just want to say she bullied me into this podcast. Don't don't even. Don't you even. You bullied don't, me. Ain't nobody bully you into you this. You bullied me into the, don't this get, podcast. Don't I get embarrassed a, on your own podcast. <laughs> 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 she bullied me now. She, you see what's happening? Nah. She, she, no, no, no. I'm joking. Uh, no, it's, I'm, I just I'm put up a mirror. That's all. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no. I, um. I'm really happy that you came on. I'm, I'm excited about what's getting ready to happen. And But I want you to give your closing statement because you did grace me with your time. I know you had a lot to do on it because you're still on the campaign trail. I am. So, you know, tell the public why they should vote for Amos Ayala. Well, first of all, thank you for um, the invitation and allowing me you know, to do this. I think when people have their own personal platform, sharing them means so very much. Yeah. Um, my name is Aramis Ayala, and I'm running to be Florida's next attorney general. I am running because the people need real freedom. Mm -hmm. The people need a real voice and a real advocate. And in my history, 
as state attorney and all the jobs that I have had as an assistant public defender, an assistant state attorney, uh, president of multiple bar associations, and just a leader, I have always been authentic and nothing but real. That's the type of freedom that I want to bring to Florida for our constitutional protections, for our democracy. But in addition to our freedom, I want to make sure that we're all safe. Public safety is much more than just mass incarceration. Public safety is safety on our jobs, safety to walk about our streets, safety to go to the grocery stores, to be comfortable in our churches. Safety is about unity and looking out for each other, not this disconnect that I'm safe, but you're not. Finally, I'm running to make sure that we have an economy that works for all of us. You know, the type of economy where people can afford to live and not needing multiple jobs in order to survive, in order to pay a rent. We need protections to ensure that Wall Street doesn't take over Main Street in our state. We are a state of the people, and we need to make sure that we have an attorney general who is not just willing, but ready to take on corporations, not going to back down because they have funded her. I am ready to take on the corporate interests to represent the people, to make sure that the small businesses are well protected, well above that of what the corporate greed is taking over. And I'm talking about the type of corporate greed that is polluting our waters, that is impacting our air and our lands. This is what we need as a person who's going to be an advocate for the people and not constantly believe that we have to side with the governor. I'm not afraid of the governor. I'm not afraid of the powers that be. My biggest fear is that the people don't get to live in the freedom and the safety and security that they are entitled to. That's why I'm asking for your vote on or before August 23rd. My name is Aramis Ayala, running for Attorney General for the state of Florida. Please visit my website at Aramis Ayala FL. You could also follow me on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook. That's pretty good. Did I write that? Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I can't with you. I can't with you. I can't with you. I didn't write that, by the way. Say my name. Say my (laughs) name. <laughs> that was good though. Yo, vote for my girl, man. Yo, um, I, always, I always like to end a podcast by doing a um, love letter to Black people, and this one's gonna be a little bit different because I'm just gonna talk about in general. Um, there are Black people. We just had an amazing conversation with the next Democratic nominee for Attorney General, Amrish Ayala, and I just want to do, do something to focus on why we need someone like her. Uh, I mentioned it towards the end of this pod about energy and how oftentimes we don't judge candidates properly um, in this space. We always look at candidates be like, you know, what can they do for the ticket as far as money? What can they do as far as profile? What can they do even as far as like what is electability? But then we don't talk about the thing, the intangibles of what makes a candidate. And one of those intangibles is can they provide energy? And I'm going to tell you. That if Democrats want to win in November, they're going to need some energy on the ticket. And Aramis, I joked about, you know, just now her speech. But one of the things I loved about Aramis is that she, um, again, one of her many, many talents, but her, because uh, she has so many, but one of her many talents is that she is great on the campaign trail. She's an incredible person at giving speeches. Like, you hear her giving a speech, especially in the crowd. She knows how to fire people up. She knows how to get people going. And that is a God gift, God gifted talent that is hard to replicate. And, you know, I'm excited to see what happens when in the general, when there's money behind her, there's platforms given to her, 
to where she's able to raise up the ticket based on who she is, based on her profile, based on her character, based on her ideals, and obviously based on her ability to provide energy. And as black people, we have to be able to recognize that within our people because we have so many talented people that don't get this look because they don't or don't quit uh, fit the political profile. And we have to stop that. We have to be more protective over the things that makes us special. And Aramis definitely is special, and I am so glad to support her. I'm so glad to see her um in this space and we're going to continue to rock with her but with that being said i only can think of one song to write out with and with that being said we're going to write out thank you for listening to this podcast until next time y'all we out on stage rocking out stir crazy coco flow like 1980s come lit still i drop lazy none of that may be energy 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 Just five, phone now 45, don't get out of line, yeah Ooh, 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 pick a side Only double lines we cross is dollar signs, yeah Ooh, 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 hold up, wait I hear you just got paid, making rain energy She more can't go, he more central pay Been waving the room, the crowd gon' move Look around, everybody on mute Look around, it's me and my crew. Big energy. We was on stop mode, got phones, phones from Pitchfork, no pause, chat too much, broke clip.